So welcome to the Fuck Therapy podcast. I am super, super, super pumped today. I am talking to Heather, hairdresser extraordinaire. Apparently, um, one thing better than hairdressing is obviously your ability to dance while listening to crazy <laughs> music. You're studying your diploma of community service or diploma level of community service. Um, you're a mother of two. Um, you love true crime. And talking of true crime, you have an incredible story and journey to share with us. So, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jamie. I'm really pumped to be here. What a beautiful introduction. I don't know if I'd call myself an extraordinaire in hairdressing, but I certainly try. <laughs> um, yeah, mum of two, two little ones as well. Um, my what are their ages? Uh, Arlo's my youngest. He's just turned one. And <laughs> Riley is my eldest. He's almost four. So Incredible. Little and... Um, Hard work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have a theory when it comes to, to motherhood and I look at it and I go, if you have one child and you have the perfect partner, the perfect life, the perfect amount of money, the perfect cars, the perfect house, the perfect family and anything else that can be perfect, it is still fucking hard work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think about that and I know there was a lot of times I questioned myself, probably more so throughout the COVID lockdowns as well, um, because let's just face it, that was a fucked time, Um, especially for those of us in metropolitan Melbourne who really copped it sweet. (laughs) And so there were times where I'd be like, how on earth do people do this? How how do people raise human beings and how do we keep them on the straight and narrow? Especially after that two years, I thought, well, everything that I was raised with and taught with essentially is now useless because the world has completely changed um so you sort of start your parenting in a new generation which is obviously going to be different to the one before and then the one before that but you throw in a global pandemic where so much of it is beyond everybody's control that you just think okay cool so i'm learning how to be a parent i'm learning how to be um, a functioning adult in a completely different world what the fuck do i do (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's a really fair question. <laughs> yeah. So I spent a lot of time silent. <laughs> um, and when I mean by silent, it's just that it just felt like everything needed to just shut off because, you know, all the COVID stuff was everywhere. You couldn't escape it. It was just yeah. everywhere. And you thought, oh, my God, I'm so sick and tired of hearing the same thing every day when I'm already dealing with normal life stuff. We, you know, we're all at a point now where we've heard what we need to hear about COVID. Can we just put something in place to help all of us get through this shit instead of just hounding us with the negative, negative, negative. But I guess um, in terms of the news media, that's what they do. They don't have to answer to anyone. They can just put whatever they like out there. And I have found that over over the course of the last two years in my mental health journey that you really have to slowly understand that things like mainstream media are going to be they're always going to have a a very strange perception and skewed view on a lot of stuff like that. So, you know, whatever comes through your TV set, it could be anything. It could be, it doesn't have to be with COVID, but anything that kind of comes up and you think, oh, fuck, am I doing that wrong? Am I doing that right? No, you're not. You're just doing a good job like everybody else in a fucked world with the best that you can. Um, It took me a long time to learn that. And I still have to tell myself that (laughs) some days. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about you and your story, your journey. My journey. Yeah. So um, I guess probably start from the beginning. It's usually a very good place to start. Well, there's a song about that somewhere. (laughs) There there is. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was channeling that as I said it. <laughs> so I suppose like for me growing up, I'm the eldest of two, so two, two and a half years older than my sister. And I noticed throughout our childhood, what I, looking back on, as I've learned, um, I thought I had a fairly like normal childhood, um, as most people tend to. They're like, oh, I've had a normal life. Um, I had two parents, I had a house, I went to school, you know. But when I got into my high school years, I was probably closer to maybe year 10. And my sister growing up, I always thought she was just annoying and naughty, but she was diagnosed with ADHD. So that can be challenging within itself. But as she went into her adolescence, she had a lot of difficulty with her mental health. Lots of different varying things of that. I think one memory I vividly have was that she would have these episodes where she almost couldn't differentiate between reality and imagination. Yeah. Um, and so obviously that rang alarm bells for mum and dad. So she ended up spending some time in a like a child and adolescent mental health facility um, that was part of like a bigger hospital. And I remember being sort of 16 thinking, I want to see my sister, but I can't go in there. Like I, you know, and being 16, you're very naive. You're sort of almost like, I'm really afraid to go in here, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I still did, but I struggled a lot. And I remember it was a, it was sort of probably my first introduction into the mental health system and just how much it needs help yeah. was that, you know, all of these young people were taken off their medication. And I understand to a degree why they need to do that. But I think what frustrated me was that they'd all be taken off their medication, but you'd have all of your nursing staff sitting behind a glass screen. They were never interacting with the kids. They were never really doing a lot. People that were doing stuff were like community services, um, caseworkers or something like that. It wasn't actually the medical staff that were in the facility that were doing a lot. And, you know, I really struggled because I remember seeing all of these youth just, you could almost look at their face and see that they're not even there. They just, you can see they're trying to internalise so much and say, oh, I just, I don't want to be here, but I've got no choice and I have to. And I just do what they say because that's what they want. And I still remember thinking like, that's, I don't like this, but at, at the tender age of 16, you just assume that's what it's like. It's horrible when you look at it and you go, yeah. how many of them feel that they're being punished rather than they're being treated? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I still remember my sister showing us, like, her bedroom and it was, it was I remember it being like a jail cell, um, like the big cinder block walls. There was no windows. It had two doors, so I think one door was that was always permanently locked so that the staff had access from a different area and then they had a door that obviously would be locked at night when they'd go to sleep, but, you know, they could go into their common area and stuff. And I still remember thinking, like, how do you, you need sunlight. Like you can't be in a little concrete box and not have some sort of natural lighting. Like we're not designed to be locked away like that. Yeah. And so sort of fast-forwarding throughout that time into sort of maybe my very early adulthood before I started working, I noticed my dad's usage of alcohol as a coping mechanism. But I suppose at the same time, you're not really picking up a lot of the stuff that I look back on now and go, holy shit, you know, Jesus. But, you know, as a teenager, you're kind of going, okay, yeah, he's an adult, he can drink, but seems like he's drunk all the time. Yeah. Or, you know, you'd wake up the next morning before you go to school and there'd be, you know, 10 empty stubbies of beer and half a bottle of red wine out on the kitchen counter. And you're like, what? It's not, a, it's a school night. What's he doing? You know, but you, as a teenager, you don't compute that. So, yeah. you know, I never really understood that that 
that was, I guess, abuse realistically. But I remember also growing up feeling like he was a very critical man. He still sort of is. If you got 95% on a test, for example, and you'd come home and he'd go, oh my God, you know, I've got 95%. Yes. You know, he would say to you, well, why didn't you get a hundred? Not well done. You did 95%. It was, why didn't you get a hundred? And you'd say, well, I'm human. I obviously didn't understand this question well enough and I didn't pass that question. And so he would then have the nerve to say, well, we're going to work on that for the next time. That's all, you know, you you need to get, you know. But I always remember thinking, but my mum on the other hand was always like, well done, that's awesome. And sometimes, you know, depending on what it was, if she was able to help me, you'd come home and she'd go, so what did we get? What did we get? And go, oh, well, we got an A plus or whatever. But there was always, there was always something. If you had done a really good thing, if you missed something by nth degree, there was always, well, why didn't you get that? Yeah. So I think for programming into my adulthood, now that I'm aware of a lot of that stuff, it starts to, puzzle pieces start to come together and I can kind of go, okay, I can see that now and this is why it's led me down the lifestyle that I've had um, in terms of relationships with people. When I was 21, I had met a guy. We'd been dating for over a year and he actually lived about five hours away from my parents. And when I was ready to move out and he's like, yeah, come and move in with me. I was so excited because I was like, wow, I'm really venturing out to the world. I'm not just moving into a house, you know, (laughs) two suburbs away from my mom and dad. I'm moving halfway across the state. Um, And I saw it as a really good opportunity and really good chance to really open my eyes and see the world. And I absolutely loved it. And it was great. But I think looking back on it now, Knowing what I know now at, you know, 21, 22, 23, you're kind of going, I think you're trying to escape something there. But (laughs) I guess you don't even, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know. And if you don't know that the way you were brought up was not great, then you're not necessarily going to see that as a not great thing. You just kind of would think, oh, well, my dad's just an asshole from time to time, whatever. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, looking back on it now, I find, okay. Um, Obviously, that yeah. Parenting does become your the status quo. It becomes mm. the norm. You know, yeah. I talk to people that have had, you know, horrific um, upbringings, but that was their norm. Mm. You know, so you have a look at this and, and you're out, your father was drinking way too much and he's heavily critical, which sort of puts you into a state of, you know, he's still your father. Yeah. You're wanting positive affirmation. You know, you would get praised if things fell in his wheelhouse, which means effectively... This is the the start of of grooming, right? Yeah. When you look at grooming, where you look at it, you go, grooming is for use and service. Correct. So yeah. you start looking there without even realizing it. You're yeah. going, I seek that positive affirmation so desperately. And when it's given, even if it's given, you know, in a backhanded way, that be, I, I will then attach to that. Yeah. So without realizing it, as you say, you don't know what you don't know. You're just moving on. Okay, he's behaving in these particular ways. You know, I've got a chance to escape, which mm. is the feeling. Mm. So this next thing is better. And the reality is with even out even realizing it, you go, I'm investing a lot into this. Yeah, absolutely. Decision. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And you know, I I I loved where I lived for I lived there for three years. So I had a pretty good time of um exploring the world on my own, I guess. Um, you know, and that relationship didn't work out. It wasn't so much in terms of, you know, any sort of physical abuse or emotional abuse or anything like that. It just didn't work. And that's okay. Yep. Um, I've learned a lot from it about myself that if I think I can't do something, well, hello, mate, you just packed up your life and moved five hours across the state. I think you can do anything. Yep. And obviously, naturally, I had to sort of move back to my mum and dad's, which 
at that point in time, it's okay. You're 23, 24. That's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And I remember I stayed with them for 11 months and I remember I worked my butt off. Um, I did part-time retail and then eventually worked my way through um, this organization from being just a part-time team member in way up into a, a manager in a, a period of maybe 15 months. Yeah, which so is incredible. Was, yeah, absolutely. And I really found that this organization at the time, the people I worked with really helped me rediscover that. I'm Heather. This is who I am. I love talking to people. I love interacting. I love that social side of it. There are days where you sort of go, oh my God, I can't deal with people today, but that's okay. We're, we're human. That's yeah. that's how we work. So, so is it true that hairdressers, you know, when you're in that mood mm. and you're washing someone's hair and they're not your favorite customer, like, yeah. do you fantasize of just accidentally squirting it down their face or... What do you mean fantasize and accidentally do it? Sometimes you just go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry about that. I might just have to get you to tilt your head back a little bit more for me. (laughs) Um, For all those listening, no, I'm not not some kind of psychopath, I promise. Um, (laughs) It happens more often than you realize, guys. I'm just going to, there's a helpful fun fact for you. Have to. Uh, But nine times out of ten, majority of the people you work with, um, clients and staff, they're always good. But there there is always that one where you're just like, (laughs) yeah, breathe. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I found that I worked really, really hard in that time frame of building up my self-confidence, getting those full-time hours, working and loving it to the point where I was able to actually get a little unit and rent it. And I was so proud of myself for that because I just went, oh, my God, over the last 11 months, I've really, you know, been stuck behind the eight ball and really had to push my way forward. And and I did. And I absolutely loved it. I loved being on my own as like as, as a as a grown-up. I liked being a grown-up. Um and the only responsibility I had was to myself. And my yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> the thing that kids don't grow up too fast yeah. because seriously you get excited about this and it gets to a point where you go, why was I excited about this? And then suddenly you become excited about getting a microwave or a vacuum for Christmas. So <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was really proud of myself for that. And I think for a good sort of 15 months, you know, I'd been on and off dating and, um, seemed to attract the, uh, narcissistic type. Not that I actually even really knew what that was. I just kind of went, why? Oh, maybe I'm just attracted to the people that treat me mean. You know, I I didn't, I I couldn't investigate it much further because I don't think I was mature enough to sit back and really learn. Yeah. Um, I think you just try to go, oh, yeah, I'm learning. Okay, I won't go for that again. <clears throat> or- I also think in this, in, in, in many parts of the world, um, mm. you know, a lot of young women love the idea of being taken care of by a man and all those sorts of things where we sucker into these what could be yeah. old school values where manipulation and coercion are often hidden. Yes, and I think um, exactly with previous previous to COVID times, you know, growing up, it was there was still this huge societal um, norm of, you know, man meets girl, girl does everything for him, and the end. Um, it, it was still very. It's <laughs> a little bit out of balance, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was still very much ingrained that we're in a man's world, and as a woman. Have your fun, but when you find someone and settle down, you've got to be their wife and you have to cook them their meals or you have to make sure their house is clean or 
keep your children quiet because children should be seen and not heard. Um, I'd really like to meet the person that said that and they can come and tell my four-year-old that and he would probably give them a full argument back, uh, much like I was when I was little. Most people thought I was going to be a lawyer. (laughs) I think my son's going to be a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it was very interesting just kind of now that I've, you know, been able to kind of start really working back through a lot of stuff and finding out, you know, stripping back to the origins and saying, this is where I was, all right, how is everything aligned for me to sort of end up with the biggest part of my story um, over the last two years. Um, but, yeah, I was always quite attracted to, and, I mean, let's face it, if anyone's seen Son- Sons of Anarchy, I mean, come on. <laughs> Max Pellis, just a beautiful man. <laughs> um, and OP's not bad either. I have to throw that out there. I was a bit of a sucker for a man in a leather leather coat and a um, big steel horse, but um, but that's that that thing of, I guess, having grown up with someone that's kind of been disrespectful or kind of demonstrated that men can abuse alcohol or speak to their wives in a way that's degrading and that that's normal and just get used to it. Um, so that's probably why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it is. I'm just going to say probably. Well, it's <laughs> definitely, know- without doubt, a contributing factor and perhaps a significant yeah. one. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, throughout my period of dating before I met my husband, I'd, I'd come across a few of, of the bad boys and, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you just want to fix them. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to fix them. I just really enjoy them as a as a human. They're fun. They're sexy. You've got this appeal that's just, mm, I like that. Um, and not actually understanding why that's damaging. Um, and a lot of people have said to me, you're such an, an empath. And growing up, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. But as I've, you know, gone through my journey a little bit more, I've started to understand what an empath actually is. And then looking back, it's like, okay, yeah, I really do, you know, have this ability to want to nurture a lot of people. I wouldn't say fix them. I'd just say um, nurture in, or hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Um Lots of different reasons, but I've never wanted to fix someone. I think it's just that what's been demonstrated for me as a um, a young woman growing up that's acceptable in a relationship is what you repeat because you're going, well, that was what was modelled for me, so that's normal and that's okay. So I And a lot of the time it's not a case of, you know, I think, you know, I think it's interesting with the fixer, you know. Yeah. We found ourselves a project and it's like, no, 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 no. I, I found a guy with potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just trying to get that potential out of him. That's all. I'm not fixing him. I'm just slowly opening the door for potential. <laughs> yeah, that one. I'm gonna roll with that. That works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think um I think that's that's been a lot of a contributing factor as to where I've sort of ended up recently. So um, it was around the end of, I think it was end of October 2017, and I'd met Matt, my husband, um, and we, you know, I really connect with a lot of people just through discussion a lot of the time. And I remember one of our first dates, we because of where I lived, I lived um, in Seaford. So for those that are local to Melbourne, Frankston area, you'll know where that is. Um, but I was literally, you know, a good 10-minute walk from the beach. Not that I'm a beach person, but it was sort of nice. Yeah. And we'd actually gone down to the beach and it was a beautiful warm night. I was sat there and we just exchanged all of our 
life, I guess, which is not a bad thing, but I think initially looking back on it now, it's sort of like mm, red flag because you've essentially laid everything, all of your wounds out on the table. He did as well, but I think that's how it was used to kind of scoop all that in and we'll utilise that later on down the track. One of the, so- things, one of the things that I say that, um, you know, people, manipulative people do is they will lay their burdens down on the table. So effectively what they're doing is giving you trust. Mm. Because for yeah. you to do that, you've got to trust someone. And that's exactly what they want. Yeah. You've done it. So now I'm going to trust you. And so trust is the first hook. Yes. Hook, line, and sinker in that order. A <laughs> little bit of leather and a metal, you know, as you say, a yeah. steel horse. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Look that's out. it. Yeah, look <laughs> out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think, you know, it, it, it felt good to be able to connect with some, like when you think about it on a human level of being able to connect with someone and having similarities with things. But I guess the more you get on, you start to go, okay, yeah, that was probably a bad idea. Not that you think about it at the time because you're in, you've you've only got Cupid there with a little arrow just, you know, yep. clouding your judgment. Ignorance is bliss. Um and so we um we hung out for a little bit and then a couple of months later he moved into my unit with me. Which was good because we were both working, you know, life was just wonderful. It was summertime as well. So, you know, it kind of, it's just the whole big poetic dream really, isn't it? It's working. It's working so far. It's working so far. Let's just roll with that. Um, And we ended up falling pregnant very quickly, which is very unusual for me because I've always been one of those people that was, I'm not. I'm I'm not having kids until I'm this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, I was almost like a checklist sort of person, but I think because I was also very easily manipulated, I kind of somehow was just reeled in a little bit more. Um, and you know that was that was fine. We'd fallen pregnant, and I remember it was a week before Christmas, and I started bleeding, and I kind of was like, I didn't think you're meant to bleed, but you know it. it what you don't know, you're ignorant, especially the first pregnancies that you have, you're not certain. Um, so we went to the uh, hospital and they did a scan on me and they kind of said, look, you're measuring about two weeks behind, but, you know, we've got to add two weeks either way realistically. Okay, great, no worries. What they found on that was like a subchronic hematoma, which is essentially like a little blood clot that forms between the placenta and the baby. So they can go away on their own. But they can also not, and you can miscarry. But from what I was taught at that time was there's not enough evidence to say that it's responsible for miscarriages. It's just it's common in a lot because not all of them fix themselves. So over a couple of days I had to wait and monitor and watch bleeding and everything like that. And then um, I remember it was the day after Boxing Day, and I'll never forget it because I remember thinking, I feel like crap on Christmas Day, but trying to do the whole, hey, everybody, Christmas, whatever. Um, And the doctor sort of said, look, um, we've got to do another scan. We need to see if there's actually been progression or not. Unfortunately, there hadn't been. Um, So they were kind of then discussing whether we do a procedure to help remove that, whether we use a tablet or whether we wait for your body to naturally do it. And the sort of person that I am, I was kind of like, you aren't touching me with a 10-foot bowl. You can all just fuck off. My body got it in there. My body will get it out again. Just fuck off. 
Um, and sure enough, that night after I'd told everybody to fuck off, it started on its own. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I was grateful for that because I was really in that. Well, my body did it; my body can do it again. And 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 it did. Um, it wasn't pleasant. Um, I still remember running to the bathroom at one point, kind of going, "Oh my god, I need more pants and more this and more this and more this." Yeah. And you know, it was was interesting. But I don't think he really coped with that well because I don't think. He'd ever had anybody in his life experience something like that either. So I found that he really, really just kind of went back into his own. So I think me being me, kind of going, okay, you got this, you know, just, okay, tick this off the list, yep, tick, you know, and just try to keep it as clinical as possible to actually get through the whole thing Yeah. Um, sort of helped, which I know is a trauma response, but that's a, that's a whole nother, yep. a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that, that book, that was probably the first uh difficult life thing that I'd essentially gone through but you know I kind of thought why did I have like what have I done wrong why did this happen to me you know I've later since learned that it happens to a lot of people um but I think at the time when you're so naive all you feel is this pain going well why is it that I wanted mine and it, it didn't stay and the and then you start that big oh, self-sabotage yeah. with a, a miscarriage my Absolutely. wife lost I can't remember now if it was th- definitely three, but maybe yeah. four. Yeah, yeah. So and we it, went through all that. It was horrible. One was a mist, so it was it was like yeah. 13, 14 weeks. Yeah, and that's that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. Listen, yeah. they're that's... all they're oh, of all difficult. They are. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I do remember feeling very, um, you know, um, self blame. I don't know if it was self sabotage. I guess it probably would come under that, but a lot of self. Maybe I'll it's, it's one of those things where you look at it, you go, yeah. I don't know how to process and it fucking hurts. Yeah, yeah it, it exactly. Sucks, right? It sucks. Yeah, it fucking sucks. Who, that's okay. Not okay. Yeah, yeah. Who who made this happen? I don't like this. Yeah. Um, um, so you know, that was that was a tough one. But I think in a way, with us, I suppose essentially coming together with dealing with that, I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe this might actually be okay down the track in our relationship. Um so a few months later after that, we'd fallen pregnant again, and that was with my eldest son, Riley. But I found that entire pregnancy really difficult in terms of connection with the pregnancy because I think I was so afraid yeah. that something's going to happen. So, And, and naturally, I, any any person that's had any kind of pregnancy scare or anything like that, any pregnancy following it is just horrendous emotionally because you're just like, oh, what the fuck's going to happen? Um Eventually, he was born uh, about a week early and weighing a good nine pound ten, so he was fine. Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound like you were. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I was pretty well exhausted. Um, but hey, I'm I'm still here to tell the tales, so it's all nine cool. ten. Yep, nine ten. I, I was pretty impressed with that actually. I I thought maybe like an eight pounder, but no. When I saw nine on there, I'm like, um, can you guys just double check that's a nine because that's not right. <laughs> that's surely not right. Oh, no, it was. Yeah. Um, happy, healthy baby. I did have um, in my labour when my water broke, which thankfully was right before he was born, I had the meconium in my waters, which is essentially where they do their first poo inside rather yeah. than well, after they're born. Um, so sometimes it can go into their lungs, so you generally have to have a lot of people around <laughs> to yeah. make sure baby's fine. He was fine. All's well and good in the in the world of McPherson. Um and so, yeah, I think we kind of 
we did pretty well for a good year, I think, because we still had a year of normalcy. So he was born at the end of 2018. So we still had a good good time out of time of normalcy. Um, after our eldest son was born, my husband's grandmother, who I suppose was like his mother, um, had passed away about 10 days after he was born, which we knew she was sick, but I think we were just sort of hoping that there'd be a little bit of room to move, but there wasn't, but that's okay. She got to meet him, so that was the main thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think ever since then, I don't know that he processed that all that well. And so for him, the spiral of self-destruction slowly began then. And me being, you know, Miss Happy Go Lucky and always there to support people, probably didn't even notice until, you know, six months later. Um, I'd started to notice probably closer to maybe 10 months after her passing so nearly at her anniversary that he seemed to, when he drank, it seemed to hit him a lot harder. Like I'd sort of be like, I'm sure he's only had two beers, but he's acting like he's had 10. You know, I couldn't picture it. I've probably only seen him have two beers, but he's probably had eight before getting home. Yeah. But naive Heather kind of went, maybe something's going on here. And trying to be as supportive as you could, you know, hey, what's happening? You know, I was sort of shut out or no, nothing. Or I've just, it's been really hot at work or I haven't eaten today or I haven't whatever. So naturally that naive sort of side of you kind of goes, oh, okay, well, yeah, go rest, do whatever you want. Um, And then, of course, we got engaged before Christmas of 2019 um, and then we were talking about maybe we should do like a small like elopement or something because we were both just not the sort of people that wanted this big fancy wedding. Um, it just, just wasn't us. So we um, planned to get married uh, at the beginning of March 2020 and so we'd organised a lot of it. It was only going to be my immediate family. It was immediate family so it was pretty easy but I certainly realised that it doesn't matter whether you're getting married in this big ginormous ceremony or a very, very small one. Um, just a head, heads up, people, your, your wedding's not about you um, at all. <laughs> um, doesn't matter how big or small it is, it's always going to be one person that has to push their own agenda. So um, just keep those people away. Just <laughs> fun fact. Um, I learned that one the hard way too. Um, and so we... Got married on the 7th of March, 2020. So we were lucky at that point. We The, the COVID thing was happening, but it still technically hadn't got off the boats at that yeah. point. So we were kind of like, look, we should be right. We got married and we're only having a small ceremony anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, and then I remember like within a couple of days after we got married, I thought, oh, you know, I'll be able to get in and get some work again and then we can work and we can buy a house, you know, just the usual plans. Um, and then I think it was the 14th of March or something, or the 11th, it was like, oh, yeah, we're in a global pandemic, everything's shutting down. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, all right, this is a little hiccup, but let's just wait for this to settle. It'll probably only take a couple of months and then we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Famous last words. Yeah. Um, so during that sort of initial like month or so of COVID, I really noticed um, his drinking increasing to a point of oh, just just high proportions. I couldn't quite figure out how it had seemed like it was only one or two beers and suddenly he was off his chops. Um, and I remember our son probably would have been about 15 or 16 months old 
Um, and suddenly I was like, oh, just don't feel well, you know, just couldn't. I mean, there was a lot of stress going on, so I was kind of like, oh, I feel a bit stressed. And then I started thinking, oh, I haven't had a period for a little while. Like oh, maybe it's just because I'm stressed. Go and get a pregnancy test, Heather, you're fine, because we were always very careful with everything. And bang, there it was. And I remember for the first time, this was the only pregnancy that I actually fell against the wall and slid down and lost it. Like this cannot be happening. And I think the only reason I felt that was, number one, I just wasn't ready with an 18-month-old. Like I take my hat off to anybody that has them close to you. They're like, you legends. Um, but, <laughs> you, you, you legends, psychos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm sorry, but Jesus Christ, you are that's my spirit tough. animal. Yeah, like how do you guys do it? Yeah, um, four and five years and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't know if any age gap's really appropriate, but sort of my method was at least if my eldest is a little bit more self sufficient, it's going to be easier. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, no. <laughs> I think everyone can see the eyeball roll here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not. It's it's still fucking hard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I still remember thinking this can't be happening because I'd noticed that there was such a, um, a big burden with this alcoholism that I just went. I, I, I don't know what it was, but I just knew deep to my core that if I had been able to have that baby, I would have been doing the whole thing alone and in COVID as well. So, you know, you were alone really, um, but emotionally and mentally alone as well. <clears throat> um, and I just kept thinking, oh, this can't be happening, this can't be happening. And I'm I'm not, wouldn't say I'm a religious person. I'm very spiritual. Yeah. But I still remember thinking like, oh, God, whoever you are or whatever you're out there, I just need you to intervene. I, I can't. I don't want to have to make this choice. This isn't yeah. fair. Um, so I remember thinking, Shit, I, what do I do? Um, so I'd obviously went and had bloods and stuff done because, you know, you have to do all of that. And the doctor I saw was isn't my normal doctor now. So he was, uh, wasn't sort of, didn't specialize in women's health, I suppose. And I kind of said, look, I, I can't do this. Um, you know, here are my reasons why, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's like, yeah, no worries. So he, he'd given me a referral. I've then contacted them. And I said, look, according to my blood work, I'm four to five weeks, but according to what I would follow as a cycle, which is what everyone follows, I'd be closer to sort of seven. And they said, yeah, look, it's completely up to you whether you would like us to um, prescribe you the tablet or whether you'd rather come in and have the procedure. And everything flashed back to when I actually had my miscarriage where I went, fuck off, you're not touching me with a 10-foot pole. I, You know, what are the risks of this, that and the other? All went completely out the window and I just went, Booked me in for the procedure because the other part of me was some of the bleeding I'd had in my miscarriage, I had to go to hospital for to be checked out. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I didn't mind only because I did have other people to care for. But this time I was like, I need to go and actually have this medically performed because if I don't and I take a tablet or it naturally happens or whatever and something goes wrong, I have, my husband's about as useful as tits on a bull right now Who's going to look after my son? And we're in COVID, so I couldn't have support. I know you probably could have, but I think in my mindset it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you're processing do- you're yeah. processing something that, I mean, I even see you now choking up over. So it's a significant, significant decision. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And that was the thing. That was, I think to this day, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. Even when Matt and I separated for a bit, that, this, this, this procedure, by hands down, this this shits all over anything anything difficult that I've ever had to do. Yeah. Um, because it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And we we're in a COVID time. And I remember it was May. It was just after Mother's Day as well. So it was, you know, if we want to get all like funny about it, you know, Mother's Day, it's all a bit. Mm. Um, so I had to go and Matt could only drop me off at the door. He actually couldn't come in with me. <clears throat> Which was hard because you're kind of like, fuck, now I really am doing this alone. You know, I haven't got that person seeing what, what you know, what, what this is all about. Yeah. I will say that the clinic I went to were phenomenally brilliant. They were so kind and caring and loving, everything. Um, so for anybody that's ever had to go through that, I hope that you were lucky enough to have that, that positive experience with the people that helped you because it's frightening. Yeah. Um, and I remember I had to be there at 8.30 in the morning and I didn't go through into like the uh, like pre-op area until maybe 12.30. Yeah. So for a few hours it was just like, oh, my God, and you have to fast, so you're hungry, you're tired, you're stressed. There's other women there that you're like, how are they holding their shit together? I, I understand everybody's situation is different, but that, that whole experience, it's like, fuck, yeah. why, why am I wearing this so hard? And I remember I spoke to my um, the surgeon and I just kind of said to her, I kind of lost it and went, I've lost a baby that I wanted and now I've got to do this. And she's like, that's fine, mate. It's, it's not. Um, it's not uncommon. Um, and. And you'll be all right, you know. We'll look after you, and they did. Yeah, they really did. But um, yeah, that, that one was a tough one. And because I felt like, okay, in COVID, you're cut off from the world, you're isolated from everything and everyone. But being in a marriage where you were kind of seeing a lot of these really troublesome behaviours, and knowing that you still had to wear the brunt of that because of someone else's choices. Yeah. Um, was extraordinarily difficult and I kind of thought, well, you know, if I can get through this, I can go on SAS Australia and kick everyone's ass because <laughs> <laughs> this has just proven that I can get through anything. It's, it's all about that mental resilience and, yeah, so all the celebrities on there that did it, just watch out. I'm, gu I'm gunning for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that I watch that show and I look at so many women I work with and I go, my money is on my girls for sure. They'll they'll go and kick ass. <laughs> yeah. And forget Aunt Middleton yelling in our faces. We're going to be yelling in his <laughs> and he's going to do what we say because he's going to go, fuck, these women are scary. Yes, ma'am, I'll do what you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. Different beast, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, um, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that experiencing that, um, I've experienced that um, from a male perspective. Yeah. Um, the decision was taken away from me, so it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was there to support regardless. Yeah. Um, and it was horrific. Um, in fact, I, I, I know the very moment in time I was sitting in a, a park um, waiting because they wouldn't allow me in. Yeah. Um, and I remember just violently throwing up. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, 
it was like everything was just sad down just sitting in the park and then i just started throwing up and i'm like tell me that's not intuition and, and empathy yeah, and yeah. Oh, 100%. pouring out um and that was that was tough um yeah. That was really tough. So I can really empathise with that. And it's interesting when you, you you dig a little deeper and you look at it and you go, you know, these clowns over in America trying to take the rights off women. Yeah, yeah. If, no. if, yeah. And, and what I find really interesting is that, and I guess I don't know if this is just an outsider looking in to America, but the people that are, harassing and protesting and all what have you, have all got these these comments about <clears throat> God this, God this, God this. Okay, that might be, that. that's your view, totally fine. Just a quick question. Um, when was it okay for you to, when did God tell you that it's okay for you to go and harass other people and assault them and is well, that, so this, not, this is is that not a sin? <laughs> Well, 100%. Um, mm. And, like, I'm a Christian man mm. and I've gone through it. And, I, and I'm like, if if you need to go through that process, then do it. Yeah. I, it's your body, you're right. And I look at it and go, 100%. And what God does actually say is sin is sin and there is no no difference from one sin to the other sin. So their judgment sits yes. right alongside yours if that's how they want to look at it. Yeah. Right? And you're going... And this is how you're going to educate, talk, negotiate, open this discussion. Yeah. An absolute disgrace. Now, it's, it's yeah. a bypass, but at the same token, you yeah. look and you go, it's an absolute disgrace that they represent it yeah. that way. Yeah. Right? Uh, have your viewpoint and have your argument. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And have a voice. No problem with that. Mm. Right. But take your hypocrisy elsewhere. That's okay. it. And there's a time and a place for a lot of those things. Yep. And outside clinics like that for women and, let's face it, children um, is not appropriate. Well, this is the reality. You look at it and you go, I work with so many women where you go, okay, if you were to force them to then go through with that pregnancy and then have it, mm. um, and they were not in a mental state to be able to deal with that, and happen to face challenging times that they can't deal with. And that child ends up in the system, yeah. right? Are you going to be there for the mother? Are you going to be there for the child afterward? And you go, oh, yes, we've got systems for that. It's like you've got failing systems, absolutely failing systems. So, in other words, you just threw her to the lions, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So And you're standing there applauding at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, like I absolutely, you know, empathise and commend you for making like the pain it's still causing you to this day um, me, tells you the level of decision that you made, you know, and it's something oh, yeah. that you go, we live with this forever. And I look at it and I go, for you, it sounds like absolutely the right decision. That don't oh, make, it, make yeah. it easy. No, 100%. And I still remember... Um, <clears throat> when they do all their checks well before you go in and, you know, you have to go through your form and are you sure you want to do this? Yes. Um, and I remember saying to her, like, oh, I had to check a box and it was something to do with, like, mental health and then there was something else. Um, and I remember saying to her, oh, um, I think, that you know, my marriage isn't good, but 
you know, like as part of my met like do I also put like something to do with my marital status? And she goes, that's completely up to you and your discretion. But I still remember sitting there looking at this form going, but it's kind of like all of the above reasons. It's not just one. It's, yeah. it's multiple. And I think, you know, that's where people, I suppose, we, we, again, looking at the US, um, I don't think they fully understand that it's not just, oh, whoops, I'm just going to go and do this because I couldn't get the pill or I couldn't have condoms or I couldn't whatever. It's got nothing to do with that. Yeah. It, it's it's so many layers of hardship and trauma and abuse that that people don't see. And so it's like, okay, well, you're allowing somebody or you're forcing somebody to have to put up with all the abuse and you're condoning the way that was done, but you're not looking at it. I find it ignorance. Yeah. 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 Ignorance is the best word. You look yeah. at someone um, that's in an abusive situation, ignorant people say, why don't you just leave? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mate. Is, no worries. Yeah. Didn't fucking I hadn't think thought of that. that. One. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, gee, I no. wish I thought of that one earlier. Good on you. Thanks for yeah. the tip. Well done. <laughs> but you look and you go, all that, when anyone says that, people people get angry. And I said, well, I always say to them, what you have to understand is they don't know what they don't know. Mm. They, to say that means they are promoting, advertising the fact that they've got no clue. Yeah. They've got no reference point. And no clue, no comprehension, no understand. They can't attach anything to it. So the yeah. only logical explanation, it's like, well, fucking wouldn't life be nice if it was like that? Yeah. Oh, right? 100%. So, um, and that's what it refers to. So, um, yeah. you know, no, it, it's, 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 it's something that I look at and go, this is your personal journey. Mm. And the justification process you already went through and you don't you don't have to relive and you yeah. don't have to explain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember for a little while, as you do, because I know I, I did go to a Catholic primary school when I was little. So I guess there's always still that little bit in the back of your brain that's sort of like tut 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 tut. Um and I still remember thinking a few months down the line, I felt a lot better knowing that, okay, well, if I had done this, once it's born, I wouldn't be here my other child is going to suffer and, you know, the usual. And I remember thinking later on, like, oh, I'm sort of glad that I've done that. I hated doing that, but I'm glad because look at the world we're in right now with COVID and then obviously naturally whatever was going on in my marriage at the time. Um, <clears throat> I did kind of go, I blame myself, but I don't at the same time. And um, I really still remember must have been we must have gone into our second or third lockdown <laughs> um for the year and i remember we'd had the curfew brought in the 8 p.m curfew or whatever it was and i'd spoken to my husband probably about a week or so before about the fact that i'd noticed his drinking was way out of control um i had suspicions that there was um gambling going on as well but I think at the same time unless you know what you're looking for you don't know you, you know I suppose our justice system works on a truth and a proof um kind of way so there's always going to be an element of truth but there has to be proof to support that and so you know when you're trying to 
figure out what's going on, you're kind of, you've got this intuition, this hunch that money's not going where it should. You know, you earn 1300 bucks on a wage. I'm stay-at-home mum, obviously, and COVID's kept me from home. So why are we still struggling to pay the rent? Why is it that I'm struggling to get nappies? Why is it struggling? You know, there was a lot of questions, but I couldn't find where where it was all going. And it, it took a bit of time for me to figure out the gambling because I think it was being masked by the alcoholism. Yes. So that one was a really tricky one to really navigate. Yeah. Um, and I'd spoken to him about getting some good help for the alcoholism. And at that point, you know, I didn't, it, it wasn't as advanced as it, it ended up being, but at the time it was sort of like, all right, maybe we can just, you know, navigate our way through this. We can we can make this work. I'm here to support you, da-da-da-da-da. Um, and I still remember he'd gone to see, oh, no, he hadn't actually. He, he'd gone to have a telehealth with his doctor and he said, I'm just going to get in my car. I'm just going to go park down the road, whatever. And I thought, no, that's fine, you know, like whatever. It's, it's, it's a big thing that you're doing. And I was quite, um, I really reiterated that it was like, you're doing the right thing. I'm here to support you, but, you know, take the space that you need. And so that was, um, I still remember the date, the 2nd of August, 2020. And um, I think his appointment was about two o'clock in the afternoon. And so he'd obviously spoken with the GP. The GP's obviously said, yep, I'll fax through um, script to such and such a chemist. You'll just have to go and pick it up. No worries. And so, you know, it, Probably by about four o'clock, like he'd message me to say, Hey, um, I'm still waiting for my script. It's really busy down at the chemist. Started up. Um, I might be a little while. And I said, Look, that's fine. Take the time that you need, whatever. Got to about 5 36, and I thought, Okay, maybe I should just check in and be like, Hey, what time do you think you're going to be home? Um, <clears throat> I could see that the message was read, but there was no response. And I thought, Okay, maybe I'll just, he could be on the phone. I don't know. But just benefit of the doubt was all that was going through my brain. Benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. It got to 7 o'clock and I thought, he better make sure he's home soon because it's, at 8 o'clock we've got this curfew. Like if he's caught out, he's going to get fined serious money. We're struggling with money at the moment. Like, you know, it was really getting quite antsy. And I'd send him a message again going, make sure you're home before 8 o'clock because the curfews that, you know, I felt like constantly repeating, repeating, repeating. And he's like, oh, you know, I just really struggling and I just need a bit more time. It's like, that's fine, but just do it in the driveway even. Like you don't, <laughs> I don't want you getting a fine because it's more money that we can't afford right now. Um, and so I'd, I was sitting there, you know, as you do, anxious, nervous, just kind of going, where the fuck is he? Like really? Anyway, he comes home, it's 7.45 and I'm thinking, fuck, you're lucky, mate. Oh, I've heard the car pull up and it sounded like it took him about a good five minutes to get out of the car and come inside. And and when I say a good five minutes, I'm talking like a slow five minutes, not yeah. a quick five seconds. And I thought, mm, I wonder if he's been drinking. And I, I thought, all right, just hold that thought. He's come in <coughs> and I was sitting in the lounge room, which, you know, the front door sort of right there and walk in past the lounge room. And I could see the way the minute he walked in that door, I could see his eyes and they were bloodshot and I'm like, You've got to be fucking shitting me. And then he's stumbling. He actually had to hold the wall to walk into the kitchen. And I thought, okay. And I could feel the blood, the adrenaline, everything was just 
fuming. I could feel the steam coming out my ears and I'm trying to just, you know, just hold it together, hold it together. You know, I'd already got our son to bed. I'd already given him dinner, bath, him, done everything that you would do as a parent, um, as a single parent, I might add, too, at that point. And um, <coughs> I came into the kitchen and I said to him, oh, look, I've made just a frozen pizza for dinner because I didn't know what you were doing, so I've made that there. And he's like, oh, okay, and he started slurring when he was talking to me, and I'm like, okay. Just breathe. Anyway, I remember looking up at the clock because I was going to put something in the dishwasher and it was five to eight. And then there's this bang, bang, bang on the front door. And I'm like, who on earth is knocking at our door? Do they not realize it's like five minutes and it's the curfew? They're going to get arrested, you know? But at the same time, you could tell it was a police officer's knock. Like you just, just, it doesn't matter whether you've heard it or not. It's a very distinctive knock. <laughs> and uh, Matt's like, I'll get it. And I thought, all right, fine. They're probably here for you anyway. I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. Yeah. Anyway, so he goes over, he opens the door, and it was two female officers. And, again, you sort of just know the presence. I could hear them sort of talking. And I sort of poked my head around the thing, and he's like, you know, close the door, and I could hear them talking. Little did he know, I could hear everything in the lounge yeah. room because they were out the front. Um, and the discussion was about, <clears throat> um, you know, have you been drinking? No, no, no. I've been home for, um, you know, hours. You know, ask my wife, whatever. I'm thinking, don't you drag me into this shit because I'm not going to lie for you. Yeah. Never. Um, I've still got steam coming out of my ears. Yeah. It's going to be oh, obvious well, I'm lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leave me alone. That's it. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't bullshit them because they're going to be able to see straight through it. And not only that, you idiot, they can probably smell it. So, you know, nice try. Um, And they'd said to him, you know, where were you at such and such a time? Were you driving in Caram Downs at the BWS? And I'm like, knew it. Um, Apparently, you know, I could hear all this kind of discussion. He's getting argued with them. I'm not doing a breath test. You can fuck off and get off my property and rah, rah, rah. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, don't wake up our son for the love of God because if you wake him up, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And then I'm going to hand myself in and say, look, I've gotten rid of him for you. Um, whatever you yeah. want to do is up to you. <laughs> Just don't arrest me. I've got to look after the kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I remember thinking, you're joking, mate. You are joking. Anyway, so they ended up leaving. Um, didn't get their breath test because he'd, flat out refused and they sort of made it very clear to him that, you know, we'll see you in court, you're going to lose your licence and he's just didn't give a shit. He's come back in and um, he's just like, you know, oh, no, actually there was just before they left, I opened the door and I'm like, settle down, Matt. And because there were two female cops, I was just kind of like, don't don't mess with them, mate. Like you should be scared of female cops because they'll kill you. Yeah. Um, and he kept cutting her off, cutting her off, and I said, Matt, you need to shut up and let her talk. And I think you could see even they were like, oh, okay, he's in trouble here too. Um, and then eventually they ended up going. And I just said to him, I was like, what the fuck have you done? And he's like, oh, nothing. And off he went. He just moseyed into bed and went to sleep. And I remember sitting there and I was like, right, I'm going to go and check out this car because apparently he'd hit something. It's been caught on CCTV, everything. Righto. Go out there. Doesn't appear to be any damage on the car, but I looked in the passenger footwell and there was – two big long necks of beer. Um, I'm assuming that there was probably four. Um, I couldn't really see much else because it was dark and I remember thinking, okay, you have been drinking. I know that for a fact. 
Um, and so that night I just, I really struggled with what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What do I do with this? You know, we're in COVID, we're locked down, we can't do anything. How do I get, how do I, how do I fix this? For my, not, I don't give a shit about him at this point, but how do I fix this for me and my son? Um, and so the next morning it was around six and I actually, he'd woken up and I said, are you going to work today? And he's like, oh, no, I feel really shit. And I was like, yeah, well, that'll happen when you ride yourself off. Um, by the way, do you know what you did last night? And he's like, no. And I was like, do you remember the cops coming to the door? And he's like, oh, yeah, a bit. And I said, you better get onto that, mate, because it sounds pretty serious. And he was like, oh, no, it won't be. And I said, really? You don't think so? You don't think that cops coming to the door is not serious? I think you better call the cop shop and find out. And so he actually contacted them. At that point, I don't think they'd actually put the report in, but I think because he had called them and sober Matt was very apologetic, um, he ended up getting himself a lawyer and doing all this sort of stuff. So I thought, good, well, at least you're being proactive about it. Um, thanks for the trauma, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that he had obviously had his GP appointment, gone to the chemist, he'd prescribed Valium. I don't think Matt had ever had Valium before and the doctor had said to him, Take two of these and then one every every day from then on. But I don't think he understood that you don't go and pick it up, take two, and then drive home. Yeah. <laughs> you wait to get home. Um, but I think he also had other plans because he went through the drive through Bottolo to get alcohol. Yeah. And then he'd gone and parked in the rear car park, obviously drank those, kept coming back in, wanting to buy more, buy more, buy more. And then what he'd actually done was driven through the drive through the wrong way and lucky didn't hit anyone, hit some stock um, and then just drove off and obviously driving erratically. And then the, the police had obviously seen him. They were following him. He event then had evaded police, you know, the usual kind of just snowballs from there. Um, and I just remember thinking, well, you get what you deserve. Like, I, for me, it was like a licensed privilege. It's it's not a freaking right, mate. Like you need to understand that. Like how would you feel if <clears> I was in the car with our son and some idiot had been doing what you did and yep. seriously injured or killed us both? How would you feel? Absolutely. You know, and that unfortunate unfortunately wasn't the last time with his drinking and driving. So um, he'd actually had an interlock prior to when we got married. He was then eligible to have it taken out, wasn't he? So afterwards, he could go to work, have a beer, even though he's still supposed to be zero zero. He yeah. still assumed that, well, I don't have any interlock, so it doesn't matter. So he would then drink and then drink, come home late. So he'd leave really early in the morning, come home ridiculously late, and be clearly tanked. Um, if he got home, the earliest he'd ever get home generally was probably eight pm. Yeah, and that that was a, a good night. Um, but he would break open a beer, he'd be sitting outside, he'd be on his phone and you could see him playing a game, but I couldn't quite make out what the game was. I later then found out he was gambling. That was the online gambling. And so he would isolate himself from me, from our son, and it'd be like, hello, I'm not the only parent here. Like, yes, okay, my son, he, he was always pretty good. I could always manage him pretty well, but it doesn't mean I should have to do it on my own if Hell no. the other <laughs> parent is is there. Um so that that got really tricky. Um, and then I remember because of that, I'd sort of said to him, you have to stop your drinking now because what, you know, and I'd explain to him, 
how would you feel if something happened to me or to Riley or whatever because someone like you didn't give a shit for the rules and killed someone? And I said, if you don't kill yourself, you're going to kill someone else. Like that's that's not okay. Mm. Um, and so from there, it it kind of we'd addressed a lot of um, the actual problem. And so he he'd actually done really well for about four months, and then. I remember it was probably getting close to Christmas um, and at this point I didn't know 100% about what was going on with the gambling. All I knew was that we were doing really well with, with not drinking and that and that was great. Um, but there were still a few things where I was like, something's just not, something just doesn't feel right. I can't figure out what doesn't feel right. Um, and so I remember we'd started trying again for our second child and prior to us trying again, I think, um, oh no, it was when we started and I'd obviously had an, another miscarriage. So that one was, um, I'd sort of had this feeling I was pregnant, but I wasn't going to count my chickens before they hatched only because it was sort of like, I haven't technically missed my period yet. Let's just wait and see. Yeah. And pretty much on the time it was due, I started having spotting and I thought, look, I can't do much about it if it's not meant to be. I was a lot more relaxed about it this time. Not that you can ever be relaxed, but. I felt a little bit more like, okay, well, we just have to let it be what it is, and that's the end of that. And and I lost that one, and and that's okay. It it was another lesson um, of okay, it just wasn't meant to be, and that's all right. Um, and we were still in a we were in a pretty reasonable, well, what I thought was a reasonable place at the time, where things you know coming into Christmas, it's always stressful too. We were finally being released from one of the million lockdowns that we had in Melbourne. Uh-huh, yep. Um, and so we'd started trying again, and then I'd found out that there was um, repayments that hadn't been met on his car. Um, so I think for me it was kind of like, okay, there, there's there's that proof of there's still something else going on and I don't know how to deal with this. And so I had to give myself a couple of days to really process that myself um, and kind of go, okay, so maybe this was sort of, or masking this, or maybe this was only a minor problem that's only developed because this one's not fulfilling that void anymore. So I was sort of really grappling with what's happening here. Um, and so I reached out to my mum and dad and said, I don't know what to do with this. I'm, you know, this this is a lot. I can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, I'd also contacted a couple of his family members. Um, both his parents are actually deaf as well, so it's really tricky. Um, you can't just call them and say, hey, I need a chat. Yeah. It, 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 there is a little bit of a barrier in that respect. So, And sometimes you can put something in context, but what can come back is sometimes you kind of go, oh, my God, that is so brutal, that is so blunt, but you've sort of got to remember that it's almost like a language barrier yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> between hearing and non-hearing. So it, it was tricky and I sort of reached out to them and said, look, I don't know how to deal with this. I, you know, I've been dealing with a lot of other stuff. I've been doing well to try and do that on my own, but now I need the support because I just don't know how to help them. Um, and so I thought that I was going to be well supported, but unfortunately it it ended up backfiring on me. Um, his family had decided to have obviously that discussion with a lot of other family members behind our backs, um, which made Christmas very awkward when we went because it was like, okay, so there was only supposed to be one or two people that knew and now everybody knows. And now I can feel your judgment while you're looking at me. Yeah. Um, and I know that he felt it too. Um, you know, and at that point he was doing well. He was sort of like, 
been he'd been I think on like zero zero beers or whatever they're called um just because he's like I still really like the taste and I'm like okay well if that's going to help then that's what we'll do um and and it had helped he still felt like he could have that social interaction without actually having the alcohol but little did we know that environmental factors so a lot of the people that he worked with were also very heavy drinkers um kind of made that a bit more difficult for him to be able to kind of really stay on the straight and narrow so unfortunately we hit a bit of a um a backwards spiral from there i think it was sort of into the new year um maybe around the february yeah um i then found out 100 that i was pregnant with arlo um and i remember thinking oh okay here we go again is this is this and this is where i sort of flip back to that part of me that's still got a lot of that christianity in there of this is your punishment for getting rid of the last one um you thought you could get out of out of doing it on your own in this environment jokes on you now we're going to up the ante and you've got to deal with alcoholism and the gambling and be pregnant at the same time and covid still hadn't gone away then we'd sort of started going a bit backwards and forwards with all of that so that was when I started going, okay, now I'm being punished. Now I'm being punished. You know, the usual self-sabotage. Now I'm being punished. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just done what I did. That I should have just kept that one and I wouldn't be in this mess, even though you know that that's not true. I think Correct. But that's, you know, you're processing it. And, and, and yeah. the reality is you're dealing with something again and you're grappling with it and you're going, I don't know where to place this. Yeah. You yeah, know, where do I put this? When you, what will be very, very interesting, which is, one of the really powerful parts about this is when you listen to this back, mm. I think it's going to be as educational for you because you will listen and you'll go, fuck, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you are yeah. still constantly justifying, filtering, reassuring mm. all the way through. And I think you're going to get so much just out of the listen. Yeah, absolutely. Will. There's going to be other people going, oh my gosh, like, I've done that. That's me. That's where yeah. I was. That's what I did. Yeah, you know? that's it. And you will, you will hear an incredibly powerful message when you hear it back. Oh, absolutely. And that, I think that's the thing, isn't it, really? Like I'm all for each step that I take, each, each yeah. bit that I go, there's always room for improvement. There's always room to learn, to grow, to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that it's I'm I'm excited to be able to listen to it back and kind of yeah, go, oh my god, you're a freaking nut job. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. What this is the thing. You look at it and you go, everything that you've run through and said, everyone's going, like, can can you hear what you're like I did that. Yeah. But we can hear it for other people. Yes. Not ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Right? Because there's a different set of rules for us, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly, it's perfect, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's a type of thing where you're like, I will sacrifice me completely, but I would no one else should do that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, and I anyway, think, I, I think you, that's the thing, isn't it? You learn a lot about. Okay, I don't condone this. This is probably the wrong way to do it, but I've learned something from it. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a whole host of stuff in there all the way through, but I think it's just been beautiful to let you talk. Yeah. Um, and that's why I just haven't interrupted because I mean, I think it's <laughs> what you're saying, everyone's going to be saying like, "This, this is me. I've done that." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what's beautiful in this is you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
for a lot of that, you don't you don't know that you're not alone. I think you think, oh my God, I must be the only person in the world feeling like this. And I don't want to let other people know I'm feeling like this because this is embarrassing. And it's, you know, even like when we've talked about, even in our pre-meeting, when we talk about changing our perspective of, you know, this is what what's happened with the trauma, but we need to we need to detach from that. But we also we need to change the perspective and yeah. the emotion connected to that so that we're no longer kind of in that you know, void with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So so continue. You you you've found out you're pregnant again. You're beating yourself up. Yep. Um we're in all sorts of hell in Melbourne in relation yep. to COVID. You're dealing with alcoholism, you're dealing with gambling, you're dealing with a family that's that's sort of run an undercurrent with you that's causing all these other issues, and you are now living, you know, a replication of what would be your worst nightmare. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. At, at, you know, even as I said before, you know, I would give all these people on SAS Australia a run for their money, I think, because <laughs> the, it, it, it's a really, it's really amazing, you know, you do and you sit there and you go, I can't, I can't. How can I keep doing this? I just I physically I'm exhausted or I mentally I can't do this anymore. But you do it because you know that you have to, mm. you know, you have to get past this. You have to push through. And even though there are days where you just go, oh, I'm just, I'm so done. You're never fully done because you know that there's always someone else that you have to be like moving forward for. So obviously yeah, that 100%. was. I say to women all the time yeah. because women are so frigging powerful. I say to women all the time, they go, I can't do this any longer. I've got no, mm. no, no, no. The problem is that you can. Mm. That's the problem. <laughs> right? You, can. you yeah. actually can. What yeah. you need to do is take your power back and mm. choose not to. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. No. So yeah, it was um it was interesting, an interesting period. So there was a lot sort of happening. Um I remember I had experienced a bit of a panic attack um because and I, I don't know if I found out I was pregnant at this point. And I remember it was I still remember the Christmas tree being very much present. Yep. Um I'd put Riley to bed. Um, that's what it was. That's what it was. I forgot this this very important piece of the puzzle. Um, so obviously, when I'd found out about the other issue with Matt um, having some financial difficulties with his gambling, um, it took me a couple of days. I wanted to make sure I had some support there so that we could kind of band together and say, "Hey, we're here to help you. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to be assholes. We're here to be here to help get you through this." Um. And, of course, I waited a couple of days so that I could process it. I could almost not rehearse it but just gather my thoughts and how I was going to approach this. Um, and I was very gentle. I was very calm. I'm still very proud of myself for the way that I conducted myself when approaching these things in a lot of aspects uh, with Matt. I, I'm really quite proud of the fact that I didn't fly myself off the handle. I kind of was oddly like how did I not do that I think that was it you know looking back like, how the hell did I not lose my shit yeah probably because I'd already lost my shit before and then I'd done that in the privacy of my own little safe space and then gathered myself and then moved forward but I'd spoke to him and said look this is what I found <laughs> um I found it in the bin um what's going on how you know how how do you how can we help you with this? Like I, I need you know is there another is there anything else going on? Is is there gambling going on? What's happening with the money? You know, uh, and and fair enough denial that's okay. 
he didn't, wasn't happy about it. So he'd gone to bed and I thought, okay, I've, I've made some headway. It's been met with a lot of resistance, but I've put it out there. So the ball's in his court to now have a think about where he's at and whether he wants to come to me and actually know that I'm here to help him and not sit there and tear him a new one. Um, but I'm sure, you know, what I've learned about um, addiction as well from the other side, from perspectives of people that have gone through it is that even though you probably know that that person means well, you're still going to have that embarrassment, that shame, everything else. So I can sort of understand from both yeah. sides here. But in that point in time, it's very stressful. We're coming into Christmas. You've got a little one. You think you're pregnant with the next one. You're just like, what the hell is going to happen here? Anyway, the next day, um, he obviously gone to work. Um, and I was sort of just floating around the house doing whatever. And he said that he didn't want to come home. And I said, look, that whatever, whatever you need to do, if you need a, a break, whatever, because we've just come out of COVID, so it's still getting used to the fact that we could actually move around and not be arrested for it. Um, and then I think later that night he then was like, oh, well, just pack up my stuff and I'm leaving. And I'm like, okay then. Um, so I did, did what he asked. I packed up his things. I put them aside and he got there. It was close to midnight. And I said, he's come in and I said, look, I've put all your stuff over there as you asked me to do, whatever. At that point, we seemed quite amicable. But then for some, I don't think he expected that I was going to do as he asked by packing up his stuff. Um, and so then he got quite grumpy with me. And and that, look, I get it, but it's sort of like, well, you asked me to do this, so I've done this for you. Like, what do you want me to do here? Um, he wasn't happy about that. And my mum was coming back because I'd let her know that things were a bit out of control. Um, we didn't know what was going on. So she'd come round and Matt had said, I'm taking the dog with me and he's got all his stuff, he's put it in his car and he's taken off and he'd yelled something out, but I don't I don't know what it was. I couldn't make out what it was and I thought, whatever. Anyway, we'd sat for 10 minutes, mum and I, and we're kind of just like, okay, well, we need to start thinking about this, 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 this and this. Um, and because he'd taken the dog, he'd left the gates open, so I thought, all right, I'll go out and close the gates. And mum had gone beyond the gates and she's like, oh, my God, Heather, and I'm like, what? And on his way out, he'd actually run over the um, water meter. Um, so, of course, water's going everywhere. everywhere. So we had to, I had to, we had to switch the water off and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, it's like by this point it's 1 o'clock in the morning. We're just like, Jesus Christ. So we're like, all right, quickly go and fill up everything you can for the kettle and, you know, <laughs> so that we can keep making coffee and tea and whatever else. Um, and then we'd. Um, I don't know, we'd gone out and we were like, okay, we just need to have a cup of just relax, whatever. And oddly, mum got a notification on her phone and so she's looked at it and it was Facebook and there was a status update from Matt and it had indicated that he didn't want to be alive. And we're like, oh, my God. And mum's like, do you think he's going to do anything? And I said, well, look, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought so, but I'm not taking the chance because I've still got a little kid here. There's all this other stuff going on. I think we need to do something about this. So we'd been on the phone with the police, liaising with them, and then got off the phone. Then another, uh, um, actually, no, I was still on the phone with the cops at this point. And then another status thing had come up and it had sort of insinuated the same thing. And so we were kind of, mum and I were just frantic. We're trying to find cops. We're going, look, he could be here, he could be there. We don't know where he is. We're beside ourselves. We're just like, oh, my God, please, for the love of God, just find him. Because I thought 
I wouldn't have thought he'd do anything stupid because he had the dog with him. But then at the same time, it's like, but is that also on the other end of the scale where it's kind of like, well, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out with my best mate. Or, you know, it, it, it really boggled the brain. So we were kind of like, okay, well, we need to, we need to sort something out. So for hours, you know, we eventually had the local police come and we're trying to sort of liaise with them. Like we don't, we don't know where he is. I'm trying to think and this, that, and the other. And, Part of his past, he'd actually had a car accident and a few people had passed away in that accident. So somehow it came to me that, oh, my God, maybe he's going there. Like, oh, you know, and so I said to the cops, it's it's this road, it's this place. I think that's where he's going to go, you know. They ended up getting in contact with the local police to that area and they intercepted him, luckily. Um, and so he obviously got out of the car, I think they cuffed him and said something like, I need help, I need help, whatever. So they got the ambulance and he'd gone to the local hospital. Um, at this point, it's like five in the morning. So mum and I hadn't even slept um, and, and we're just like, oh, man. And then the dog, we had to go and pick him up because he was in the car and we said to the he's a rottweiler. Look, normally he's really friendly, but probably given the circumstances, he might feel a little bit threatened. So I'd really rather you don't take the chance. Um because he might hurt you. And he's not a little dog by any means. He's, yeah. he's a big boy. He's a rottweiler. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he thinks he's the size of a chihuahua, but yeah, really, they do. if you shove, he's <laughs> scary. Um, so we'd ended up getting the dog and I remember thinking, oh, my God. So we ended up then being able to pick up my husband from hospital and he then sort of said to me in the car, look, yes, I've got issues with this and da 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 And we were able to kind of go, okay, well, this is the first step. Let's let's move forward through this. Um, and I think it was probably about two days later, I remember Matt went to go to bed. Um, I'd already put Riley to bed and I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit down and have a cup of Like I'm just, I'm exhausted. And I sat down at the kitchen table and I put my coffee on the kitchen table and I could feel this tightness in my chest. And I'm like, oh, shit. And so I'm trying to breathe, take nice deep breaths, trying to calm myself down to the point where all of a sudden I felt my body just take over and I had no control. And I thought at first I might have been having a seizure because I had everything was shaking. My whole body was going through what I could only describe as, as a seizure. Like, But I was so alert, though. That was the thing that scared me is, like half slumped over the table, I'm shaking uncontrollably. And, you know, Matt's like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm thinking, I can't even speak to you to tell you that I know I know what's going on. You just I have to write it out. I, just, I can't fight it. Um, he's on the phone to my mum and mum's like, can you get her to give you some sort of signal to let you know that she can hear you? And I'm signalling to him, but I think he was just in this fluster that he wouldn't even see me signalling. Um, and so he got off the phone and my mum was on her way and I think, by the time my mum got there, I think I'd gone through this anxiety attack and just I remember looking, my head was on the table, I remember looking at this Christmas tree and seeing the glow of the lights, just thinking, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Um, couldn't speak for about half an hour and then mum was like, you're going to the doctor's tomorrow. Okay, yep, I'll go to the doctor's tomorrow. And I'd spoken with my doc doctor and I said, look, what concerns me is I think I it's possible I'm pregnant. I haven't technically missed my period yet, but if I am, is this going to damage anything, you know, and, and naturally you do. And she's like, technically you haven't missed your period, so we're just going to pretend like you're not pregnant, okay? And even if you are, it's not the end of the world. It, nothing, nothing's going to happen. It's fine. Um, she's like, a lot of other people have had a lot of other things go on at this stage and their babies have been perfectly fine, so relax. Um, and then 
bit later on down the track, a couple of months later, I was thinking I was about 16 weeks pregnant. The drinking had begun again. Um, I wasn't in a good mental headspace. And mum had come around to help me with Riley and Matt had got home. He'd basically walked straight past me and went straight out to Riley. Um, and he knew mentally I wasn't doing well. He knew I wasn't doing well. But he'd sort of ignored me and mum had gone in and kind of said, hello, <laughs> I'm here to help with Riley. Like, yes, I know you want to have time with your son, but you also need to be looking after your wife too. Yeah. Um, they had a bit of a disagreement. He'd obviously been drinking. I went and sat outside and then because he'd been drinking, he'd come out arguing and getting pushy and not happy about it. Anyway, I started to feel my hands quiver again and I'm like, shit. And I'm like, all right, just let it go. let it come. It's There's nothing you can do. Just let it go. Had this panic attack and I'll never forget. He looked at me, walked straight over to the car, sat in the car, waited and watched and waited until my panic attack had physically finished, got out of the car, walked up to me and said, do you want anything down the street? Knowing I couldn't speak. He goes, no, nah, all right, I'm going then, and got in the car and left. Wow, yeah. And I remember thinking, what the hell just happened? You couldn't even help me. That You, you literally just went, I don't give a fuck. See ya. Um, and so throughout that time, there was a lot of difficulties with um, the alcoholism and then obviously the gambling on, underneath all of that. Um, my mental health was up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. I know I spent a lot of time on the phone to like places like Beyond Blue and Lifeline, usually around 2 o'clock in the morning when everyone else was sound asleep. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, is this... Is this going to get any better? Like I'm pregnant. I'm already struggling. We're still in a really bizarre world between lockdowns and everything like that. And I remember I was 24 weeks pregnant and I'd gone to an inspection of a house and I got there to have a look. We'd waited 15 minutes and they said, no, they're not showing it today. And we're like, are you kidding? Like, I really didn't want to go, but I thought, no, I'll go. I'll go and have a look and then I'll come back. So I was on my way home and I was on a particular road that, They've they've done a lot of building up with property development, but they have not done the roads at no. all, and they're still shit. Um, and it was the day before Mother's Day of the following year. I was pregnant. I'd gone up to a roundabout. I'd stopped, and all of a sudden I remember looking ahead going, will I go that way because it looks like there's a lot of traffic or will I go this way? And no sooner I finished that thought, bang, behind me. So I was stationary at this point bang, into the back of me. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell? And then next minute, bang, next person into the back of them. So good 60, 80 Ks, bang, bang, bang into me. Thankfully, because I had left a fair bit of room between me and the car in front of me, I didn't hit them. So I was like, phew. But I was almost like, what the fuck? What just happened? So I've managed <laughs> to get the car off the road and I'm thinking, He's oh been rear-ended by a train. Yeah, and being pregnant and going, holy shit. Holy shit. And this is, I hated having an anterior placenta. So for those that, are, that know what an anterior placenta is, it's basically that your placenta is on the front side of your womb. So when you want to feel baby kick from the outside, it's generally not as good as <laughs> the other way. But I hated having an anterior placenta with Arlo. But this one time, I was really thankful for it. Right. <laughs> Little shock absorber. Um, and so, of course, got out of the car. The woman that hit me had little kids in her car and I don't know about the guy behind her. 
So they called the ambulance. I'm trying to contact people going, what do I, I need someone to help me with my car because I know I'm pregnant. I'm going to need to go to hospital. I'm probably, I don't know if I'm even going to go there in an ambulance or if someone's going to have to come and pick me up. Like, what do I do? Um, anyway, the ambulance obviously took me. So they took me right up to Melbourne. Um, and I was panicking the entire way. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, this is how, why is this happening to me today? The day before Mother's Day, I, I don't want to be, I, I'm done now. Can we just go home? I don't want to do this anymore. Um, thankfully, he was okay. Um, the doctor I had up there was really good. Yeah. They'd obviously done a scan and whatever, and he's like, I've just got to go and do this here and gave me the yeah. little Doppler so I was able to have a look myself, which was good. Um, but, yeah, that was quite traumatic. And so for a couple of weeks I was without a car and then, of course, we've gone into another lockdown oh, in Melbourne. So you're stuck without a car, had a hire car for a bit. Once your insurance says, yep, you're not at fault, here's your money, give us back the hire car, you know, makes it a bit tricky. Um, so that was really tricky. Matt had a work car at that point. We were coming home late, not in a good headspace. Um, and I remember thinking, I need to be able to get to doctor's appointments. I need to be able to do this. I need to be able to do that. And it was just so stressful and overwhelming. And I just didn't know which way was up at that point. So a lot of the time, Lifeline was my best friend in the middle of the night because it was just like, I don't know what to do. What happens if my baby's born with two heads and they don't pick that up until after it's born? But yep. as uh, naturally, as, as a pregnant mother, you're always going to think well beyond. Um, and then I remember I'd had Arlo. Um, which was good, nice, quick labour, wonderful. Um, I also had meconium in my waters with that one as well, but he was fine. So, of course, they had to keep me for 24 hours, even though I was kind of like, look, you know, at 24 hours I'm ready to go. So I'd had him on a Friday night at around 9 o'clock at night. And at that point they were still doing a curfew again at not from 9 p.m. So they said, look, yeah. at 8 o'clock we'll let you go home because we'll give, it gives you time to get home, you're home for the curfew. Um, and that was fine. And so I'd throughout my pregnancy, I planned on getting my mum to come and collect me and the baby from hospital. So Matt could be there with Riley to welcome us home because I was concerned about driving. And of course he didn't have a car at this point. Um, oh no, he did. Sorry, but he didn't have the car seat. So he was going to have to drive mine. And I was like, mm, don't know about that. Unfortunately, because of COVID rules, I wasn't able to do that. So Matt had to come and collect us. Um, and so he'd come up instantly. I knew as soon as I saw him, he's been drinking. He's been drinking. What the fuck do I do? And so I quickly raced into this, um, into the bathroom in the in the room, and I just went, okay, had had a little teary, and just was like, okay, just just get out what you need to get out. Pretend you're going to the toilet, and just compose yourself, and then come out. But I remember thinking. I can't go home with somebody that's been drinking and I don't know if I'm going to be able to drive. I mean, I know, you know, I know I could drive if I had to, but I shouldn't have to. Like I've just done a lot of work and pushed a massive baby out. Like, I don't want to have to drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, They're all fair things. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fair. Um, and so I kind of like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I tried to confront him about it again, was met with, yeah, yeah, I haven't, rah, 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 and I thought, oh, at this point, I guess I'm just going to have to go. Maybe what I could try and do is get the keys and drive myself. Maybe that's what I need to do because I, I really just want to be able to sleep in my own bed because hospital beds are shit. Um, <laughs> I want to sleep in my own bed. I just want to feel like I'm in my own little space. Um, So we got out to the car and I think he parked on like a second level or something. So we had to pay for the parking and 
So he tried to pay for it for whatever reason it wasn't working, but he then had gone and walked away somewhere and took a leak in a, a car park, like it's an actual built-in car park. Yeah. Thought, what are you doing? Like <laughs> you could have gone to the toilet. Like what are you doing? And that's another telltale of like he just doesn't care. He's obviously had many beers and doesn't care. So I put the ticket in. It said he'd been there for three hours, and I thought, hmm, bing, another tick. I paid for it. We went up to where my car was. No other cars around it, but there was um, scattered cans around my car. Right. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to get the key. I need to get the keys. Um, so I was like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, whatever. He wanted to have a cigarette. I thought, whatever, fine, just have that. I'm putting Arlo in. I open the car door. He'd been sitting in my car smoking in it too. And I'm like, fuck. So I've put Arlo in, put I've put the pram in, I've put bags in, I've put everything in there. And then I just was like, <clears throat> okay, I think you should let me drive. You know, my cup, no, no. And it didn't matter how much I tried, I couldn't get the keys. And so I just went, I guess my only other option is to get in the car. Like, it's my car. If I let him drive it home without me in it, what's to say he's not going to prank it? And then because he's been drinking, I'm not going to be covered by insurance or you know, the, the, the long list, it was like, okay, well, maybe I better just get in the car. And so that entire car ride home was spent me being yelled at for how dare I accuse him of coming to pick up his son having been drunk. And I remember saying to him, I wasn't accusing you. I asked you a question and it was just repeated, 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 repeated. And it was just like, again, not overly religious or spiritual, but I prayed to anybody and everybody, for the love of God, let us get us home safely. Like, yeah. And because I just had the babies, I had the car accident when I was pregnant with him, I had some control of protection for him, but I didn't now. Yeah. It was like, oh, my God, okay, let's just let's get home, let's get home, let's get home. It was late. I think it had started raining too because it was like the start of spring. And anyway, he then, we were coming past like a group of shops and he's like, Oh, well, if you think that all I'm going to do is drink, then maybe I'll just get alcohol then. And he pulled into this bottle and I'm thinking, oh, my God, and it was pure fluke that we had a 9 p.m. curfew because it was like 9.03. <laughs> and I remember thinking, thank you, whoever you are, thank you. <laughs> you you don't know. And I remember seeing this security guard and he's like, nah, nah, go. And I'm like, thank you. And so, again, we left there. The argument continued on the way home. You know, we got home, pulled in the, in the garage. He'd put the garage door down and then he got out and slammed my door. And I'm like, oh, my God. And at that point I was like, okay, I can't hold it in much longer. I'm going to cry. So I was having a bit of a, a, a sook. And he'd obviously gone in yelling and screaming and mum's like, what's going on? Thinking maybe they didn't let Heather go home for whatever reason. So he got in his car and took off. Mum comes out, can see me sobbing. I'm trying to get Arlo out. Riley is so excited. Oh, mummy's home. There's a new brother. And I'm like, just <laughs> all my shit together. I can't let him see me cry, you know, and you've just had a baby. I mean, really, trying to tell yourself not to cry is just a stupid thing to do. Um, and so mum's like, what's happening? I'm like, oh, I can't even, couldn't even get the words out. And she's like, yeah. okay. And I've literally given Arlo to her, like, you know, just take Arlo and Riley. So I, I need to go to the toilet. I need to compose myself. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just needed to yeah. put some distance between me and the kids so that there wasn't any vibing. 
Um, and so I'd sort of explained to her what had happened and she's like, oh, my God. So she'd run my dad and I thought, oh, Jesus, here we go. Here comes the judgment from the old boy. And um, anyway, Matt ended up coming home. And so he was in the bedroom and I was like trying to do the happy snap photo of Riley meeting his brother and trying to pretend like nothing had ever happened because, you know, you're trying to. And I remember because it was Father's Day the next day. So you're also then trying to do the whole, look, we're a happy family. Everything's wonderful and dandy, but really it's not. Um, And so, yeah, it was a really, really difficult time immediately postpartum. Um, A lot of what I was doing, I was doing by myself. Uh, and I remember having to ask mum, can you help me by mopping my floors? Because I, it's not that I can't do them. It's just I've just had this baby and I know if I push myself, yeah, I might end up in hospital again. So could you just come and help me? Because I wasn't getting help. So a lot of my parenthood journey I spent as essentially a single parent in that respect of doing so much. Um and so I guess when people sort of say to me, wow, how do you how do you manage all these things? It's like because that that's all I know. Yeah. All I know is to have 5,000 things going on at once and all of that. So throughout those few months, um, you know, the drinking was still going on. There was still some gambling. I think it was more the drinking than the gambling at that point. But I know that I had money from inheritance that I had to then take out. I had to take super out when we were trying to balance all this COVID things in the first year because we didn't know what was going on that that money was used to sustain our family household why whatever wage was coming in was not being contributed yeah um and and some so they'd be like i need money for fuel multiple times a day and you'd be like well smallest fuel tank like yeah you know you could you could compute it but again it was like that whole there's not enough proof to say that this is happening but i've got a pretty good hunch that it is um so, yeah, so, you know, long story short, there was just so much of that mental health of just I'm trapped, I've got two little kids, I feel like shit, I'm essentially locked in a home because of COVID. Yeah. I can't access support because of COVID um, and not just access support for me and my kids, but even for Matt, it was like how, how do we get support for him? Mm. Um, and during that time he'd also spent time um, Drinking and driving again, he'd had another crash, um, written this car off so many times where it was like, how are you still driving? Like how many chances have you been given to not drink and drive? And <coughs> yeah. Yeah, so that 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 was hard. So he ended up getting into um the ARC program with the court. Um to be able to help with his mental health and help get him the help that he needs. And he's been doing really, really well. But I know from about February of this year, um, I went, I'm done. Threw my hands in the air, I'm done. So I went to my mum and dad's. Um, I think Riley stayed with Matt that night, but I took Arlo with me because he was breastfeeding and he was still little. So I was like, well, I'm taking him with me. I need to get away from you. Goodbye. Um, but we kept in front of, particularly in front of our eldest, we kept it, mummy's just going to go to see Gaga and Topar and, you know, we're, I'm just going to have a sleep over there with Arlo and you can have some fun with Dad, trying to keep it just not nasty for him, even though they can pick up on it, but you still yeah. do your best to to do all of that. Um, and so I ended up moving in with my parents and it. I remember throughout my entire journey, it was like I can't leave because if I do leave, I've got nowhere to go. 
And if I go to the one place that technically is always going to be there, I'm really not doing myself any favours because I'm leaving one household with the alcohol abuse and literally got, moving straight into another one with the alcohol abuse. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it comes back to a lot like we were saying before about when people say, well, why don't you just leave? Yeah. There's so many factors. Like even just in COVID, why don't you just leave? Okay, um, where am I going to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely horrific. Yes. Um, so you're now at your parents? No, I'm back in with Matt now. So I stayed with my parents um, for about six months. Um, but in that time, I started my study. Um, so I really needed to find something that, I don't know, gave me a, not, not so much that I didn't have a sense of purpose as a mother, but more a sense of purpose as Heather. Yeah. Um, who am I? What? Where? Where? What can I do? Um, everything that I've learned in this, I want to be able to help others. It, you know, even just helping one person, I, yeah. I can somehow relate to them. Um, so I started studying, and thankfully, at the time, because of COVID, we still had a lot of remote learning. So there, that was a very good help initially with that first two terms. Yeah. Was that everything was sort of remote, so it made it a lot easier. Um, so kids were able to go to daycare, which was great. But obviously when I moved in with my mum and dad, they're not as close to daycare as where, um, the family household was. So I had a bit of traveling up my sleeve a lot of the days. So it became very exhausting with the traveling. Um, but yeah, I found it really difficult being in the home with my dad because it was sort of like, you can sit here and be judgmental about where Matt is at with his journey and his addiction, but you're not able to see that you are the same product. Yeah. Um, you're not you're not helping yourself with your alcoholism. You're yeah. you just, you know, and I even said to my mum before I moved in, he said, it's not that I don't want to move in with you. I'm I'd happily move in with you, but I don't want to be around dad. I can't go from one alcoholic to another. Yeah. Um, especially with little kids. Like the last thing I need is him you know, doing his thing of at me all the time and judging me on my parenting and, oh, well, maybe you should do this or, you know, even little things of like, oh, well, he could be teething or he could be hungry or he could be, have you tried this? It's like, oh, no shit, Sherlock. You do realise I've I've had a child before. I know they're not all the same, but I'm pretty well aware of most things. Yeah, absolutely. you know, just just back off. Like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So well, that's it, one. That is one hell of a story. There's no <laughs> question about the question. Everyone's going to be thinking is, "Are you safe now?" And how is Max drinking and gambling now? Yes. So to answer the question, yes, I am safe now. Um, doing really, really well. Um, obviously been going through a lot with my own healing journey and and really understanding my own mental health. On lots of different levels, um, yep. through obviously learning through a lot through my course, um, but meeting the people I've met through my course as well, and knowing that I've got that safety and that support there with them, yep. um, and there's no judgment there, so it's been yep. really, really helpful there. Um, obviously, in my work as well, um, I didn't, I did not think yep. in a million years that I'd be able to study, be a parent, and work all at once. I just thought oh, this is a, a joke, but I can, and I'm doing well. Yeah, some days. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I feel safe within my workplace as well because they're again they're the same sort of people where it's everybody's there you're a team you're a family let's we all look after each other your health is important all your physical mental emotional well-being is important um matt has recently um I guess you'd say graduated from the ARC program. So he's been sober for uh, nine months now. Yeah, awesome. Um, which is really, really good. So he's done a lot of hard work. Um, I'm very proud of him for that. As you know, on top of dealing with not only just battling those addictions and um, trying to overcome both of those, but also understanding the same thing, stripping it right back and understanding where the origins have come from and both of us being able to kind of be on our own individual journeys but still be supportive for each other. Um, and, you know, a lot of the time throughout his ARC program, I'd be kind of like, I, I I, think you need to do this on your own. I think this is something that, you know, I'm still here supporting you, cheering you on, whatever, but I don't know that I could go and sit in a courtroom with you. Um, but on his final, uh, like for him to graduate on his final court date, I went, no, Heather, you need to be pushed out of your comfort zone. Sitting here going, I just don't think I can deal with that is not going to do it. You, you've got to get out of your comfort zone, mate. Like this might be the very thing that might help you go, boom, I can cut and release that. Now I can go over to that next hurdle and I can start figuring out the next lot of stuff that I have to work on. Um, and it, what was ironic was, so we went to this court, you know, it, it, it's not like a traditional court. It's it's all very um holistic and supportive and um, really like, you know, loving the progress you've made. And I think what I learned was they see so many people go through that court system and I could only imagine that, uh, you know, 5% would probably be the ones that get through it and and successfully oh, for sure. get to the other side. So I think for them to see another case where, you know, you've done really well and your wife is here and, you know, you've been through your shit but you somehow still stuck true and you've you've really committed to this and you really want to make that change for yourself um is amazing and so we got out and we could you know before we left the courtroom we we heard this massive downpour and I remember thinking please be the air con and not the rain because uh-huh. you know we weren't parked right there we actually had to like cross over a major road to get to this car park and so we get out and we're like shit this is this is literally we're gonna have to swim across the road (laughs) to be able to get through this but the ironic thing was it was almost in a spiritual way of we had to get caught in this rain to kind of wash off that negativity and really just embrace a like a spiritual cleanse a a relationship cleanse of just we can let this go this is being washed away where we're letting this go completely. And I still remember Matt had made it across, you know, it was like double lanes and then a, a, a median strip and then double lanes again and then into a shopping centre car park. <laughs> and he's managed to run it the whole way across. I literally got stuck on this median strip and there's cars coming and I'm just getting drenched <laughs> to the point where I'm sort of, I just couldn't help but laugh because I thought, no, but I needed this because I'd said to myself this morning, you need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to look at this differently. You need to let this go. And maybe that was, call it a sign, that you had to kind of get stuck there in order to really get that drenching to just be able to go, I can let this shit go now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're doing a lot better. We still, you know, you still have your triggers with a lot of things, I think, but that takes a lot of time to work through. And I think 
particularly when you've got life going on in between your mental health journey. Um, yeah. You do what you can where you can and, you know, even things like this, you know, as you said earlier, like you're probably going to listen to this and go, holy fuck, oh, my God, uh, I never thought of it like that. Or I'm actually really looking forward to you listening to it because I think there's there's so much in here for you Yeah, to hear it being said. Um, is Matt going to hear this? Possibly. Possibly, but I said to him, I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you know, this is me sharing my journey, this is sharing me, this is me sharing my mental health and things like that. And I said, but there's a lot that you can take from this too. Like, if you want to listen to this, great. Listen, I think it would be absolutely healthy uh, on his own terms to listen to it, to actually hear your requirements, where he's left you behind, where he's fallen to, how it's made you feel, um, how alone you've been and how, where he needs to step up and actually support you as a partner. You know, yeah. he's gone through these illnesses and we understand that and there's no judgment, mm. but it's the type of thing where we look at that and go, you know, you're accepting that court case, that rainfall as a washing and a new start. And yeah. it's like, you know, listen to this man, see what an incredible incredible woman that you've got one that is stuck by your side when i would have been telling her to run yeah when everyone in her life would have been telling her to run and save herself from you and your toxicity yet she has stood strong and therefore stand up man rise and meet this woman where she's at um and you do that and she's already proved that she's got your back you know but it's one of those things recognize the incredible woman that you've got and bless every single day that you've been given this opportunity. That's my message to you, brother. And if you can do that, you've got the opportunity of being in that, not in the 5% category, but in the less than 1% category that not only regains their life, but regains their family also. Most people don't get that privilege. You know, Absolutely. now it's on you. So without doubt, what an awesome way to roll it out. What an awesome yeah. <laughs> um, way to share your story. Um, let's hope it's awesome endings and, and everything goes incredible. But without doubt, you've demonstrated um, exactly what everyone is grappling through. And they're going to, this is going to resonate with so many people um, and the way in which you process it and the way in which you explained it and the way in which you talked about it. This yeah. is authentic. It's one of those things where, you know, within this podcast, we don't prepare. No. Because we no. want authenticity, want a real story, want it to go where it needs to go to express the story where someone is going to follow along on your journey and go, oh, my God, that's me. Yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. And without absolutely. doubt, we've got you. We're going to support you. You're incredible. You're amazing. Now, when we finish the podcast, we always end with a stay strong. Do you want to yes. finish it up with a little wind up and a stay strong? Oh, I actually heard a really, really good quote, and I think it might be appropriate to kind of throw in there before our stay strong. Um, let me just bring it up. Beautiful. Okay, so this is this is for everybody, but particularly for a lot of for a lot of the women that are listening to this. Um, when you feel broken, just know mosaics are made from broken pieces, but they are still a work of art, and so are you. Stay strong. Love it. Stay strong. you got to love that. That is awesome. Fantastic way to finish. That is incredible.